Every fall, Kurt and I sit down and we talk with other people as well, but Kurt and I are the primary participants in this conversation, and we spend a couple of days together, uh, hours at a time, uh, uh, and, and we just spend time praying. We spend time reflecting on what God's been doing, what God is doing, where God's taking us into the future as a church, and, and uh, we begin to, to work on uh, our, our preaching calendar, and uh, we begin to talk about uh, things that uh, we believe God's doing in the church. We talk about things that God has done. Uh, actually, we use your, your prayer requests, the things that uh, you ask us to pray about to sort of see if there are things that are uh, regular and general kinds of items that you're dealing with so that we can get the word of the Lord, the wisdom of God with regard to some of the things that you're facing, that you're sharing with us. And so we sit down and we, we begin to sketch out a whole year in the fall. And so this past fall, we began to sketch out the year of our preaching uh, calendar and the messages that we really believe that God was putting on our heart. And, and uh, this is the, the second of, in the series of sermons that we began. And about the time that we were doing this work, I was traveling internationally. And so back in uh, uh, October, November, uh, I, was, I was in uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan, and I've been asking the Lord to speak to me about uh, some things that he might want to say to his people as we traveled. And uh, actually, Revelation chapter 21, from which we will launch today's message, uh, became really uh, vibrant in my thinking and Really, I became aware, I became aware uh, of, a, of a real focal point in Revelation 21. And so as we were traveling, I, I was asking the Lord to, uh, to speak to me and begin to highlight this in my mind. And, and uh, as, as I read through it, um, as I read through it, there was this aha moment that occurred. You ever been reading the scripture before? And it's like, there's just like this big light bulb goes on. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, I think I get it. Well, that happens to me. I, I hope it happens to you. Well, that's what happened to me as I was reading uh, Revelation 21. And so uh, simply, uh, let me read Revelation 21, and then I'll tell you the aha that occurred to me. The aha that occurred to me. So Revelation 21 from the New International Version, beginning with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 7. And it just simply says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And everybody says, Amen, Hallelujah. What a wonderful hope, what a wonderful promise. And then he goes on, And then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
And I thought this, wow, isn't that a beautiful picture of where God is taking us? Like, I talk to people all the time. And when we talk about a future hope or a future life or a preferred future that exceeds this life, regularly people tell me the picture of that story, and it is very much like Revelation 21. And and let me just add this as an addendum. Regardless of what their professed faith is, like I, I talk to people of all sizes, of all shapes, of all ethnicity, of all kinds of faiths, and when they talk about what their preferred vision of the future is for the afterlife, or as my friend N.T. Wright says, life after life after death, when you start talking about the afterlife and people start talking about what they're visioning and what they're hoping for, this is the picture that is often portrayed. I love it. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. And everybody says, Hallelujah, even so, come Lord Jesus. And here was the aha moment, and this is, this is it, simply this. God, in an aha moment, said, That's what I'm going to do, but that's what I have been doing, and that's what I am doing right here, right now, in your very presence. As I was thinking about that, I thought, well, what does that mean? And how does that look? And how do we experience it? And we came on this title, Mended. And uh, so let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Mended. This is what God's doing and what he's always been doing past, present, and future. And we recognize that there's an age to come, the end of the age, when all things will be made right and everything will be made new. And while we're waiting for that, God is making things right and he is making things new. And here's what he's doing. He's setting, mended, he's setting things right. When injustice and hurt and pain capture your attention, it's because there's a God-oriented God-desiring sense for things to be right. When the marginalized are pushed further to the margins and your heart is grieved, that is God at work in you, calling you to be his agent in the world. He's mending things. He's making things right. When you're grieved by the environment and the deep distress that exists in our present-day condition, and you want to make it right, that's the heart of God at work in you to make things right. When you're grieved, when people are sick and you want to see them well, that's the heart of God at work in you, making things right. So setting things right and and being mended is to put in good shape or working order again. To be put in good shape or to be put in working order again. This is the work of God in us and through us from the inside out. Being mended is to be improved or to be strengthened. Being mended is to be those who are being restored to health. And when we see the ultimate picture of the end, what we see is this. We see God bringing all things together at the conclusion of the age, making all things right, making all things 
making all things right, setting things in good shape and working order, improving and strengthening, and restoring us to our full health. And so today as we start, I want to talk to you about how it is, how it is that we can begin to order our lives in such a way as to reflect this work of God in us and through us now. And the way I thought about that is simply this, mended, and the first thought that comes to my mind is this, always faithful. This is the work of God in us and through us. He is always faithful. How many of you are familiar with Stephen Covey? Perhaps you've read his popular book, Seven Habits of Highly Affected People. Anybody know what habit two is? <laughs> habit two. Habit two is simply this. Begin with the end in mind. Oh, now, now that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thought. Begin with the end in mind. What if we, as followers of Jesus, begin to orient our living in such a way that we began what we are doing now in and through this world with the end in mind, where God is at work making everything right? What if, what if we begin with that in mind? How might that change the way we view ourselves and others? You see... As we begin with this view, beginning with the end of, in mind, here's what happens. As we view the end of the age, what we see in the image of God is one who is generous, loving, and kind. One who is generous, loving, and kind. And as such, we see that he is the one who is faithful from beginning to end. Faithful from beginning to end. To end, verses 5 and 6, he says, In the end, I am making everything new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. Always faithful. His generosity, his love, his kindness have been made known to us, not in the end simply, but from the beginning to the end and all the way in between. When we begin to think about the end, we say it is well, but when we think about the beginning, the same thing is said. Genesis 1.1 says this from the New International Version. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and I love it, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters. And as you read through that, what you begin to see in the story of creation is that God hovers over the waters, which implies chaos. God hovers over the waters, the chaos of life, and begins to speak things into being. He brings order to chaos. He sets things that are chaotic right. He brings strength and life and health and hope. As we think about the beginning and the end, we see that God has always been at work 
for our good and through us for the good of others. When I read Revelation 21 and when I read Genesis 1 and continue reading chapter 2 and chapter 3, I reflect on the words of creation and he says this several times on each day at the end of the day. He says this, and it was good. And on the final day, he says, it was very good. When I look at God creating and when I look at the end of the age, one of the things I hear is I hear the compassion and love of the Father at the declaration of the end of the age saying, I am making it right. I'm making it good. And when I read the story of creation, I hear the compassion and love of the Father saying, I am breathing life into chaos and bringing order to chaos. I hear the compassionate love of the Father that should motivate me and does motivate me to be a conduit of his love, receptive and having it flow through me to others. Let me ask you this question. I told you what I hear. What do you hear? Do you hear the kindness, compassion, and love of the Father in the declaration of what the end of the age will look like? Man, it's so, it's so there. Let me... Do you hear the compassion, kindness, and love of the Father in the story of creation? It's there. Dan Wilt, when he talks about creation, Dan is a vineyard writer. When he talks about the story of creation, he says simply this. He says, the universe wasn't created primarily by God's power It was created primarily by his love. Just let that sink in. The universe wasn't created primarily by his power. It was created by his love. And that's so awesome. That's so awesome. Let me say it a different way. This is my spin on that. God being faithful, always faithful from beginning to end, and simply this. The universe wasn't created by his power primarily, but by his love. And let me just say it this way. From beginning to end, the universe isn't ruled primarily by his power. It is ruled primarily by his love. As we talk about being mended, as we talk about being made right, as we talk about being formed and changed and transformed into experiencing the fullness that God has invited to, we are being invited to a journey of experiencing his love from the inside out, for he is the one who is always faithful from beginning to end. As we view the end of the age, not only do we see a generous God who is, in fact, loving and kind. But as we view the end of the age, we also see a generous God who is making his dwelling with his people, his dwelling with a family. And this has always been his call to us. God is faithfully inviting us into a new family. He's faithfully inviting us into a new family. Uh, verses 
21, uh, verses 3 through 5 from chapter 21 from the message. I love this. He says, I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people, and he's their God. I love it. I love it. This is so resonant. This is from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. The reason I love it is because this is the very way he introduces Jesus to us in the Gospel of John. In Peterson's translation, he says this in John 1.14, this is so important to us and so powerful to us about what God is calling us to do in a new building in terms of creating deeper roots. Let me just read it to you. John 1, 14, he says, The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous from the inside out, from start to finish. There's this invitation to a beautiful new family. There are three things that I just want to make observation about the invitation to this new family. And this is how God invites us regularly and always. Regularly and always, God invites us in an invitation that's personal. That's personal. Anybody ever heard God call your name? Okay, I won't think you're crazy if you have. I won't think you're crazy if you haven't. But here's what I know. My experience is this. God not only knows my name, but he calls my name. And either I thought to myself or he said to me, Alan. Either way, it's okay with me. And when he speaks to me, there's something that's extremely personal. Why is that? Because God has chosen not to speak to us from a distance, but he's chosen to speak to us in an up-close and personal way through his son who has moved into the neighborhood. You say, well, wait a minute, Jesus went away. He's not with us anymore. I say, yeah, good point, good point. But Jesus promised that when he went away in John 14, that when he went away, he wouldn't leave us alone, that he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would remind us of truth and all the things that Jesus taught us, that he would remind us that there's a judgment that's coming and that he would be gracious to be with us wherever we went, always, inside, before, behind, beside, above, beneath. The love of God is being made known to us by the power of the Spirit, and the power of the Spirit is calling us personally by name to call us into followership. When Jesus calls my name, it's always an invitation to follow him. See, this invitation, this invitation into a new family isn't an abstract idea. It's a personal idea. Jesus calls each and every one of us by name, and he invites us to follow him. The invitation is powerful. It's not just personal. The invitation is powerful. When Jesus speaks to me, he captures my attention. Like it's an arresting moment. It's an arresting moment in the best sense possible. It's an arresting moment. It's a stop dead in your tracks moment. It's a don't move until you sort of pay attention to what's being said. This is the experience I have when Jesus speaks to me. It's an arresting moment, and it's powerful. 
And the powerful intru, uh, opportunity is simply, it's personal and it's powerful because it's always in a way of pointing me and perfecting me as I follow Jesus. It's always good. It's, it's never like uh, that idea that passes through my head of like, yeah, whatever. When, when Jesus speaks to me, it's like, oh, pay attention. Oh, that's really, that's way better than your thoughts. That's way better than your ideas. Pay attention. So, so he's inviting us regularly into this new family. And if you just read the course of Scripture, I, I love the story of Abram. And uh, we, we talked about it in uh, men's coffee small group this week. Uh, great conversation. Uh, I love small groups. Hey, just as I'm talking about small groups, if you haven't signed up for small groups, it, man, they are awesome. I've already been to small group twice this past week, and it was awesome both times, and I really enjoyed it. So if you haven't plugged into small group, plug into small group. It'll be an awesome place where you can make new friends and where you can grow spiritually. But the call of Abram is this. He says, I, I love this. Get up and leave the land where you are to go to the land that I will show you. How many want that call? Like, leave where, leave where you are to go where I'll show you. No real clear sense of where it is you're going. Just go until I tell you you're there. Yeah, I'm not signing up for that one. And yet, I've signed up for that one. We, we all like a little more specificity. Like, we'd like to know. And, and then he says to him, and he says, and oh, by the way, while you're going, he says, I'm going to make you the father of peoples. And nations. See, that, that's, a, that's an arresting moment. It's, it's personal and it's powerful. And God speaks to us in personal and powerful and in life-transforming ways. And often when he speaks to us in these personal, powerful, life-transforming ways, one of the primary ways that he speaks to us is simply this. He speaks to us, and as he speaks to us, there is an invitation for healing. You see, this generous God that we've been introduced to is a God who is faithfully caring for us, and I just add, today and always. He's faithfully caring for us today and always. It says, verse 4, He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And here's what I know is I know that God is intervening regularly on my behalf to take away my pain, my sorrow, my hurt, my fear, and he's bringing healing to me. He invites me. He invites me in a personal way. He invites me in a powerful way. And the, transformation, the transforming work he does in me is a healing work, a healing work, giving me hope in the midst of my fears, giving me courage in the midst of my failures, giving me healing in my emotions, in my heart, in my mind, in my body. And, and there's this real recognition. Here's the recognition that we have to be honest about. And that is, because there is a day yet coming, we don't get it all now. But it doesn't mean that God's not caring for us now. You see, we live in this interesting, intervening moment. When Jesus comes... 
he inaugurates the kingdom of God. And, and if you want to know more about the inauguration of this kingdom, there's a little pamphlet over on the table that's free. And it's the, the kingdom of God. It's available. You can read through that and it'll talk way more in, 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 uh, in much more uh, uh, dis description and greater detail than I'm going to be able to talk about it this morning. But there's this generous God who's caring for us and he's caring for us because he's intervening now in the world. And he's intervening in such a way as to orient us under his good and benevolent, his kind and kingly rule. This is the transforming power of the New Testament church. They experienced the kingly rule of Jesus as they watched his life, his ministry, his death on a cross, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And they put it together and say, the kingdom of God has come among us, and it is here now. And yet there is more to come in the future in the consummation of the age. But they don't wholly defer any hope that they have for a future day because they're experiencing the real presence of God now. Let me ask you to go back and read the book of Acts with that in mind. Experiencing the real presence of God now. His kingdom at work through his people who are called personally, who are called powerfully, and who are experiencing his healing. His care for us is an invitation to follow him. It says he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. And Luke chapter 4 is the inaugural address of Jesus and this invitation to this ministry. He says this after having come from the desert. He's reading the scripture on the Lord's day and it says this out of uh, a quote from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in that proclamation, he says, I care about you and I am at work transforming you from the inside out. When he says on the cross, it's finished, it's the indication that the work that he inaugurated in Luke 4 is a work that is now fulfilled and his work is being completed in us and through us as he works in us and through us to proclaim good news to us, to set us free, to set our uh, recovery of sight for the blind, to set our oppression free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which then leads us to this. He just doesn't work in us to care for us, to make us right, but he works in and through us to care for us, making us right, so that we can join him as he faithfully calls us to worship and witness. He's faithfully calling us to worship and witness. Uh, reading from uh, Revelation chapter 1, it says this, and John is writing, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that is ours in Jesus... Then says, I was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Let me, let me just read to you some previous verses from Revelation chapter 1. And he says this, and this is, uh, this is just beginning with verse 4. And he says this, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, from him who is, 
and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. He says, look, he's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see, this worship and witness, this worship and witness that we've invited to is an invitation to the kingdom of God, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. A kingdom, a kingdom, the rule and reign of our Father, the rule and reign of our Lord Jesus, a benevolent king who is worthy of our worship. So as he's calling us faithfully to worship him and to witness, here's what happens. He calls us to be attentive, to be attentive and give worth to him for who he is. This is one of the early understandings of the New Testament church. They didn't need a king, they already had one. Jesus was his name. Can I just tell you that's a really powerful and pertinent word for us today? Don't want to go political on you. Don't want to go political on you, but I'm going to. We don't need a king. We've already got one. I believe in being wonderfully patriotic and good and kind, but my first allegiance is not to the United States of America. As good and glorious and beautiful as she has been to me, my first allegiance is to Jesus. My first call is to Jesus. My first obedience is to Jesus. The best of my love is to be given to Jesus. The songs that I sing first are to be given to Jesus. When I pledge allegiance to anyone or anything, my first pledge and my first allegiance is to Jesus for he is the good, the kind, and benevolent king that's been made known to us because he moved into the neighborhood and he has become close to us and he is always faithful and constantly calling us to give our allegiance to him and not to the empire. You recognize we're not the first people who've grappled with this? You recognize that, right? Rome was an empire and the New Testament church had to make a decision that they were citizens of Rome, they were citizens of an empire, but their allegiance was to a king who was benevolent, good, and kind. And we also are citizens of a nation state, but our first call is to the king who is benevolent, good, and kind. And all our worship is to be given 
to him. And worship is simply this, giving worth to whom it is due. And there is no greater worth than the one who is the king of all the nations. And not just all the nations, he is the king of the cosmos. He is the king of all things. Go back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made with Him and by Him and through Him, and all things are held together by His name. He's the king of all things. He's worthy of our worship, and so as we experience His faithfulness, then we give worth to Him, and we give worth to Him in the way that we sing. We give worth to Him in the way that we pray. We give worth to Him in the way that we love And that leads us to our worshiping Him, the way we sing, the way we pray, the way we love. But then we give witness to that. It's not a personal, private thing. It is personal, but it's never private because we've been called into a community who's expressing His great love in powerful ways. And so we witness now to this benevolent King who is transforming our lives and changing us. And the worth we've given to Him in terms of the transformation we're experiencing through him, is worthy to be shared with others. Say, could you just make that a little easier for me? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't need you to be a great theologian. I need you to be a good witness. Being a good theologian would be a good thing. I don't consider myself to be a great theologian. I'm trying to be a good theologian, but I don't consider myself to be a great theologian. But I do want to be a good witness. And simply to be a witness is to tell others of what God is doing in and through and for you in your life. And to be a good witness is to be one who declares the calling of God that you've said yes to in your life. What's he calling you to? What's he calling you to? See, I believe that every person in this room has been called We've all been called differently, and we've all been called and gifted differently, but he's calling each and every one of us to a vocation, to a vocation of declaring his great and benevolent kingdom in real and practical ways. And so as we talk to others about how we're experiencing that transformation, we are proclaiming to them the great vocation of being involved with God in the work that he's already doing in the world. Where's that work for you? Let me suggest to you it's wherever you're engaged. That work for you is wherever you're engaged. God faithfully calls us to worship and to witness. And he most likely calls us to begin right where we are. The question is simply this. How are you making the worth of God known to the people with whom you engage, with the people with whom you are friends on an everyday, ordinary, regular basis? That's that's witness. That's witness. It starts at your home. It starts with your neighbors, and again, extends there far beyond, far beyond that. And so today, as we talk about this calling that God has put on us, there's this great and powerful calling to which we say yes, and we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, do your work in us and through us. And, and it takes us all the way back to Jesus' favorite prayer, the one that he taught us, the one that we prayed last week, and I'm not going to ask you to do it from memory because if we did it from memory, we'd have 17 different versions uh, all quoted. You could do it, but I'm, I'm just going to say, here's what the beginning, here's what the beginning of that prayer sounds like. Jesus, when asked about how it is that we can pray, he says this. He says, when you pray, pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. The way that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven is through each of us. The way that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven is done through each of us. So when we pray that prayer, we're actually saying, right here, right now, through me, make your kingdom known, and it's made known in primarily two ways, our worship and our witness. Our worship and our witness, and God has faithfully, regularly called us to be people who are engaged in worship and witness. And it's simply beginning as we are, where we are, to declare the benevolent kindness of the king. And his work is simply this. Let me go back to our beginning. His work is simply this. It can be summarized in the end of the age, and it can be summarized right now in these words, I am at work making everything new. Always faithful. And the invitation is for us to join him in the work of making everything new. Knowing that the end will come and it will be fully and completely revealed to us. But until then, we're at work with him in this good world making everything new. Now that brings clarity to Romans chapter 8. Maybe for your homework this week against that backdrop, you could go back and read Romans chapter 8 because this brings clarity to the understanding that Paul had in Romans chapter 8. And he says this, this, this is the verse I'm referring to, God is at work in all things for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. He is right now at work making things right in those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes.